1: Good afternoon, Curtis, you told me, unmute myself, I did it again, Do <laughs> another adventure here <laughs> on Southern Sense, on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic High The Fix FM, out of Charleston, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, YouTube, Facebook, oh, the heck with it, just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle. Southern hyphensense.com. Curtis, we've got a lot going on today. And um, I know I sent you a message earlier about something that's going on. Um, so we've got a great guest. Uh, unfortunately, i got to let the listeners out there know that Catherine Templeton will not be with her, with us today. Um, last minute, she had to cancel because of the weather here in South Carolina. She announced her new running mate today, and she's flying all over the state to, you know, get the publicity, do the stump. And because of the bad weather, we've got really bad weather here in South Carolina and North Carolina. I think you got it down there in Florida too. So oh, flights definitely. were all changed. And so she'll be up in the air flying when she's supposed to be here with us. But no worry. She will be here on June 5th. She was at our tea party meeting last night. And oh my goodness, this woman is fantastic. She has my vote. I'm telling you right here and now. Catherine Templeton. There's five people running for governor here in South Carolina and Catherine Templeton hands down has my vote. But she'll be here with us on June 5th. So we got a lot to talk about, Curtis. A heck of a lot.
2: Oh yeah, and I I have to check out her link, her website. Sounds exciting.
1: All right. This is something, you know, people, you listen to the show, you follow me on the social networks and everything, you know I don't hawk products. But this is something that I've got to tell you about because if you're here, you're a listener. You go to my website. You can get yourself involved in this. You know, I in fact, I hate it uh, when people do Hawk products. Like I get this Ray-Ban sunglasses or these dresses or this other crap that ends up on my social network pages. I delete them, and I delete the people that do that. But I'm not sending this onto your social network pages. I'm not pushing this out. You have to come to me on this one. Um, I stick to the issues that are important to you and me, but I think I can't keep this, what's going on right here, right now, to myself. So um, I think you may want to check this out and get in on the ground floor before anyone else jumps on the bandwagon. I joined up with something called Earthwater, Team Earthwater. Now, Earthwater is a company that is faith-based and patriotic. And Earthwater, and I've got a bottle of it right here with me, which I'm holding up to the camera. It's a nifty bottle. It's really cool. Um, It's an amazing water that will be soon the rage of the nation. It's got over 70 antioxidants and minerals in it, and trust me, it's good. I already sleep better. I dropped one of my prescriptions, and I'm possibly looking to maybe drop another one soon. So ask yourself, do you want to make a few extra bucks on the side while getting healthier? If so, check out the Earth Water link on my homepage at southern-sense.com. That's the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern And who doesn't want to make some easy money? You're in a 10% commission on what you sell, and they even set up a web page for you to sell from. There's hardly any work you have to do there. Every time a customer returns to your page and buys, boom, you got yourself a commission. And they don't pay it out monthly. They pay it out every Friday. So every week you get a check in the mail. So sign up and buy at least a case, and let me know what you think of it by just going to my webpage, Southern Sense, that's the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. They offer four tiers of membership, from one case to 16 cases. I bought four cases to start with, and I'm hooked on it. So guys, this is the truth. Check it out. I want to welcome everyone that's up in the chat room, and that's joining us up in the studio, too. So, Curtis, let's get this show going. What do you say?
2: Let's rock and roll. All
1: right. All right. Uh, Today's show, and you know we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's show is going out to two fallen heroes. It is going out to police officers Eric Joring and Anthony Morelli of Westerville Division of Police in Ohio. Their end of watch was Saturday, February 10th of this year. And this is from Cincinnati.com, written by Sarah Volpenhen and Emily Mills of the Cincinnati Enquirer. The news of two Westerville police officers killed on the job came as a shock to many residents in this suburb. It's obviously a shock because that's not Westerville, said resident Doris Myers, pointing to reports that these were the first Westerville officers killed on the job. Officers Anthony Morelli, 54, and Eric Joring, 39, were fatally shot while responding to a 911 hangup hang-up call at a Westerville residence with the history of domestic violence. Westerville Police Chief Joe Morbitzer said in a press conference that the veteran officers were immediately met with gunfire when they arrived at 12.10 p.m. at a residence on Crosswind Drive in the outskirts of Westerville. Quentin Smith, 30, has been identified as a suspect in the shooting and is in police custody facing capital murder charges. It's hard to know how it's going to ripple through the community, Myers said. Children have lost a father. Myers was at a prayer service at Westerville Church of the Nazarene One of many held across Westerville to honor the two officers. More than 200 people linked arms and joined hands during two services at the church, some of them brushing tears out of their eyes, their heads bowed. Father, we certainly did not expect to be praying for this today at this prayer service. Our community is shaken, Ledford said. We pray for these other police officers who are, they're just broken today. We don't pretend to understand, Lord, what they're going through. Adriana Nilo, who lives in Westerville and whose husband is a trooper with the Ohio Highway Patrol, was ushered to the front of the church. She said she was shocked and saddened by the news of the shooting and that as a wife of a law enforcement officer, she can't help but think of the families of Morelli and Doring. I am just looking for answers to what happened, she said. Myers said that among Westerville residents, there is a lot of support for the police. Myers, who said she takes people into her home who are trying to get back on their feet, said when she had had a call, had had heard the call, the police officers got into her house quickly. They were in less than five minutes, she said. Lauren Berger, a former Westerville resident said with Westerville being a small community, if people don't know the officers, they probably know someone who did. Berger, whose aunt is a police officer, said she was on her way to the Westerville police station to drop off homemade cookies. Anything I can do really to show my support. She said a ceremony at the Westerville North high school gym that Sunday afternoon attracted hundreds of community members packed in two bleachers with a box of tissues in each row. We are the largest suburban agency in Central Ohio at 76 sworn officers, said Westerville Police Sergeant Greg Lavallee. We have 74 now. Doring was a 17 year veteran of the Westerville Police Department while Morelli had been with the department for 30 years. During, a 1997 graduate of Westerville High, South Heights was a canine officer and detective who worked with his canine partner, Sam. Morelli served with the department's bike patrol. Fourteen Westerville officers, all members of the department's honor guard, and the department's chaplain, Jim Meacham, flanked a podium decorated with a blue ribbon. Lavallee, the commander of the department's honor guard, said the officers came to the vigil so the community could see us as something more than just a uniform we're human beings and yes we wear a uniform and we wear it with pride said la who choked up when he spoke my brothers and sisters are grieving and in a great amount of pain former students parents city officials First responders and others shared their memories of the officers, with many speaking of Morelli's infectious smile or Joring's complete dedication to his work. Westerville North Athletic Director Wes Elfritz said the only time he met Joring was during a locker search at the high school. That short interaction was enough for him to see the kind of officer Joring was. To see him in action, to see how serious he took his job of protecting our kids, That's my only interactive I've had with him. But I could tell that day, Westerville was a lucky place to have a guy like Officer Joring. Westerville resident Kayla Kane recalled fond memories of Morelli, who had been a school resource officer at Westerville Schools, whom she said even the bad kids loved. Kane had once left high school and is now raising a son. Right now, people are telling him to fear the police, she said of her six-year-old. I'm trying to raise him to love them. Former Westerville student Michael Seidel said when he was younger, he believed that the police were to be avoided. But then he met Morelli. Morelli would come over to our table at lunch and we would talk to us and he would make a relationship with us. And he gained our trust and we looked at him as a friend, Seidel said through tears. That changed my perception of law enforcement. To an immigrant National Guard member who lived in the United States for about 40 years, Morelli was the officer who vouched for him. Mahmoud El youssef said that he received a death threat the day after 9-11. Tony told me, don't worry, you're one of us, he said. Tony de- vouched for my loyalty. To have law enforcement on your side to vouch for your loyalty means a lot. To Westerville resident Stephanie Santino, Morelli was the calm concerned officer during a moment of panic in his years as a special officer at giant eagle a grocery store i had the horrid experience of losing my child inside the store and she was seven at the time and it was panic she said Sentino went running to morelli at the front of the store the calm that he had and the sense of how much it mattered at that moment she said it was morelli she said who found her daughter at the bathrooms and brought her back Ten years later, Santino said she ran into Morelli and he remembered her daughter's name. When news reached the ears of Santino and her now 16-year-old daughter, they hoped it wasn't our cop. When they found out it was, it felt so personal because that is how the city is. They are our cops. In a final note, Sam, the canine dog has been placed with the family of Officer Jory. They will have a constant reminder of him, as they love Sam. Today's show is dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement officers, firefighters, or emergency services. It's also dedicated to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of our nation through today and into the future. We dedicate this song to them, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one. To Southern Sense here on Blog Talk, Radio SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, Kinetic High Five, The Fix FM, out of Charleston, South Carolina, and all the heck with the email when I say, just go to our webpage, the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern com. I see people in our studio, Curtis, and I believe this may be our guest just popped in up on the line. Let's bring them open. And good afternoon. Is this our guest, Alex, Alex Newman?
3: This is Alex Newman. How are you guys?
1: All right, Alex, how are you today? It is rainy, it is nasty, you? it is miserable over here, but I hope you're having better weather than we are. Yeah, actually,
3: there's nothing to complain about here. It looks pretty nice outside, and, you know, it's a little bit cloudy, but uh, doing fantastic, so.
1: It, um, you've got a fantastic website out there, The New American. I was popping over it, uh, all over it last night and having fun with it, you know, um, Good Lord, where are you at? You're you are just about everywhere. I turn around, you've got articles all over the place. Jeez, who are you not writing for? I think it's easy to say.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's true. I've I've written for a lot of publications over the years, uh, probably dozens. But uh, the New American is the one where I write uh, most frequently. And,
4: um,
3: you know, I I just think it's a great magazine, which is, you know, why uh, when they asked me to write for them back in, like, 2008, I I was just super excited about the opportunity, so.
5: Man,
1: Uh, there's so much to talk about, but the big thing that's on the news that's blowing up all over the place is the Mueller investigations, the DOJ, the FBI scandals. Holy cow, and now Trump is calling for an investigation into the DOJ and the FBI. This is the craziest stuff. This makes Watergate look like, you know, a walk in the park. And this possibility that Obama administration is also behind this, this is the craziest stuff I have ever heard.
3: Yeah, I mean, it really seems like it's out of a movie, but uh, I think this is an incredibly exciting time to be alive. I think what's happening here is uh, the deep state overplayed its hand. Um, You know, they they assumed that Hillary Clinton was going to get elected. When she didn't, they panicked. Uh, They made sloppy mistakes. And now they are, I think, in the process of being busted. Uh, So I think what needs to happen now is, you know, rather than just letting a few fall guys at DOJ and FBI take the fall and take the rap and end up in jail, we need to follow this investigation all the way through to the end. Who are the associates of these people? Who were the ones guiding this? And I think conspiracy is the only word to accurately describe this. I mean, it's you know, more than uh, one person, clearly illegal, immoral, uh, and, and certainly uh, happening in secret. So we need to find out everybody who was involved in this. We need to find out who the paymasters were. And we need some serious accountability here. This was an effort to subvert the will of the American people as expressed in free elections, that is not only intolerable, that's borderline treasonous. And a lot of people need to be going to jail. And, again, I don't think we should be satisfied with just letting a couple of guys at the FBI and the DOJ fall on their sword here. I think we need to follow this investigation all the way through.
1: You know, it's funny because when James Comey came out with his book, which I have no intention of ever reading, if I can, unless (laughs) someone hands it to me for free because I'm not giving him a penny of my money. But he's he's he was out there. He was doing all the talk shows. He was all over the place, tweeting and everything else. Suddenly, he's fallen silent. He hasn't had posted anything since, I think, May 11th. So it's been 11 days since you've heard a peep out of him. I think, uh, like I said earlier, he shot himself in the foot big time. If anyone is definitely heading to prison, I think it's going to be James Comey.
3: Yeah, well, you know what comes to mind. Anything you, can, you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. I think mean, you finally realize that. Uh, oops, you know, I'm digging myself deeper into the hole here. I better shut up and, you know, quit providing <laughs> more evidence uh, of what's been going on. And uh, you know, I, I think they're really in, in an incredible pickle right now. They have literally dug themselves into a very deep hole that they cannot get out of, and that now they're starting to panic. You know, now the inspector general is talking about releasing this report. Uh, exposing a number of these uh, irregularities, quote-unquote, uh, in the investigation of Hillary Clinton. and uh, you know Now we have some of these text messages that have been released, uh, and I suspect that we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. I think this goes a lot deeper, and uh, I think it transcends even Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Uh, I think this is a cabal. Uh, I did a special report in the New American magazine that uh, we've really been promoting. We're on our third printing now. We keep uh, selling out. But uh, I identify what I call the deep state behind the deep state. And I think Hillary Clinton actually helped us to identify this. For example, uh, she gave a speech at the Council on Foreign Relations when they opened a new branch in Washington, D.C. Uh, and she explained openly. She told them, "You know, this is great that you guys have a, a new headquarters here because that means I won't have to go as far to be told what I should be doing and how I should be thinking about the world. So uh, you know, she did us a big favor there by identifying some of her co-conspirators to us and Uh, I think we really need to be taking a look not just at the deep state, you know, these criminals within the government, but who is behind the curtain. You remember the Wizard of Oz, you know, the man behind the curtain. Well, let's pull back that curtain and see who's back there and see uh, what's been going on all these years.
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff that seems to be coming back to Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, And you've got to remember, he bought a house just outside of the gates of the White House, which a lot of us are calling the mini White House or Obama's White House, and there seems to be some, some ties that are coming back to him directly, to his administration, his involvement when he was still president. And you hear people calling for an impeachment of Trump, and some people are saying, well, the end of Mueller's investigations is going to result in the impeachment of Donald J. Trump, in his indictment and impeachment. I honestly think it'll end up being an impeachment of Obama himself. And even though he's no longer sitting president, he can still be impeached, thus barred from any federal office or appointment to any federal job.
3: Yeah, well, you know, I, in an ideal world, I think impeachment would be the least of his worries. Um, you're absolutely right that a lot of this does go straight back to Barack Obama. But again, Barack Obama was not a lone actor, uh, he had an incredible machine behind him, mostly hit him that uh, really propelled him from being a nobody, some you know, pot-smoking, hippie, weirdo, college kid, um, to becoming the president of the United States. And we know some of these associates, right? He launched his political career uh, in the home of Bill Ayers, right? A, a communist terrorist who was getting money and direction from the mass-murdering butchers in Havana, the Castro regime, uh, which, of course, was a puppet of the Soviet Union. Uh, And actually, uh, me and some colleagues wrote a book about uh, some of this, and I think, again, it only scratches the surface, but um, we wrote uh, Comrade Obama Unmasked, Marxist Mole in the White House, and uh, what we show, among other things, is that the real Russiagate involves Barack Hussein Obama, right? (laughs) I mean, there is a real problem, a real issue with the Kremlin interfering in our politics uh, and uh, using subversion and other evil tactics. Uh, And Barack Obama is buried up to his neck in this stuff. But even beyond that, we have, uh, you know, I mentioned the Council on Foreign Relations. I think he's one of the key players. So, you know, Obama is not the top of the pyramid. He's certainly, you know, a bad actor, certainly a criminal. Uh, I believe we have smoking gun evidence that he was involved in treasonous activity. Uh, To give you one example, uh, we got some documents, Judicial Watch, pried them loose, uh, praise God for them, uh, in the lawsuit. By the way, the government did not want to release these. But we have smoking gun documents
4: proving
3: that the Barack Hussein Obama administration, first of all, knew, and, and I referenced in particular an August 2012 document from the Defense Intelligence Agency, this document shows, first of all, that the administration knew that the uprising in Syria was being led by this. So the primary forces driving the insurgency in Syria are al-Qaeda and the Muslim Brotherhood. Al-Qaeda is a designated terrorist organization in this country. Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is about to be a designated terrorist organization. Uh, both of them are radical. Both of them are sworn enemies of the United States. We have documents proving that they want to destroy Western civilization, and um, so we have evidence, first of all, that they knew this revolution in Syria was being led by terrorist organizations. In that same document, they admit that the U.S. government is supporting this uprising, which they had already admitted was led by al-Qaeda. Um, you know, The definition of treason is aiding, giving aid and comfort to the enemies of our country. If al-Qaeda is not the enemies of our country, I don't know who is, right? So we have smoking gun evidence that they did that. Then further on in this document, they say that there is a real chance of establishing what they described as a Salafist principality. Uh, Salafism is this kind of hardcore, wacky, radical Islam that they practice in Saudi Arabia. Uh, So a Salafist principality in eastern Syria, and that is exactly what the powers supporting the opposition, which includes the Obama administration and its allies, want to do. So we have proof from the government itself that they were – openly supporting a revolution led by known designated terrorist organizations with the purpose of creating an Islamic state in eastern Syria. Well, they succeeded. We call it ISIS today. They've beheaded thousands of Christians. They've massacred massive numbers of people. And, um, you know, that's treason. That's plain and simple, regular old vanilla treason. And, um, you know, he has some very serious things to worry about if there's ever going to be justice in this country. College. You know, it,
1: it's funny because as these documents are being brought forward, they, they're being brought to a judge, T.S. Ellis, and he, believe it or not, was an Obama appointee, and boy, they they figured him out wrong because this is, this is a nuts and bolts guy. He just wants the facts. He wants the truth. He's not beholden to anyone, even though he is an Obama appointee, and they thought they were going to have a pal in the court, and they were going to be able to get away with just about anything. But he has been lecturing Mueller. Uh, he's been yelling at them, you know, to get the documentation and unredact these things. And every time they do unredact these things that they claim are confidential or top secret, there's nothing there that should be top secret. They were just covering their own hides.
3: Yeah, and that's very typical. Uh, you know, they've been uh, concealing information from the American people. Um, and, you know, Obama promised to be the most transparent administration in history, ended up being the most opaque administration in history. And, uh, you know, if I were a criminal, I would want to hide the evidence, too. I, I can't blame him from that perspective. I certainly wouldn't want people uh, coming across evident criminal activities. But uh, I suspect that Trump and um, the good people on his team, uh, and there are some, there are also some not so good people, but uh, I suspect they know a lot of this. Uh, in fact, we know Trump is totally aware of what we just discussed about ISIS. I don't know if uh, if you guys remember, but during the campaign, he said Obama and Hillary are co-founders of ISIS. He said ISIS is celebrating, and the media just about spit their coffee out. Right, because, <laughs> yeah, right Trump is totally nuts. What kind of whack job is this? Uh, and then he let it go for a few days. He kept insisting, no, I'm being serious. They are founders of ISIS. They helped create ISIS. They, and he just kept saying it and saying it, and left, you know gave them enough rope to hang themselves with. Then finally he dropped the bombshell. He you know, started tweeting out the articles and the documents proving this, uh, so he knows what he's talking about, and um, you know people in the Justice Department know what he's talking about. Uh, unfortunately, you know there there are still a lot of deep state swamp creatures all up and down the federal government, but um, you know the the information is there to make the prosecutions possible, and uh, hopefully this judge has seen the writing on the wall and realize that, uh, hey, this stuff is coming out whether you like it or not, whether you try to stand in the way or not. This stuff is coming out one way or the other, and you better get out of the way now if you want to escape unscathed. So, Alex. uh,
1: Are you aware now that there are some – now they have these specially appointed investigators that somehow or other – I'm trying to figure out how this goes, but they're trying to do an end run against Judge Ellis. So they're, they're trying to find anything and everything they can on Trump. Uh, but this guy weinstein uh who's who's had so many cases tossed out and overturned, he's one of them This is really strange they're they're trying to use any and every legal tactic to stop the investigation. It looks like,
3: yeah, and that's not surprising at all you know uh and and I think there is a danger here you know when when you take a dangerous animal and you get them in a corner and they have nowhere left to run, um you know they'll explore every possible avenue before finally lashing out and attacking and throwing everything they have. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a very dangerous situation right now because these people feel like, you know, rats trapped in a corner and uh, they're, you know, desperately looking for an escape hatch and they don't find one and say, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? And Let's, you know, just throw out a bunch of accusations and see if it sticks and let's claim persecution and let's this and that and the other. But, um, you know, they, hopefully it's not going to work. And I think the American people... Um, you know, at least many American people, probably most American people, if you just look at even the establishment media's polls about the credibility of the media, people are waking up. People are starting to see through now the fake news, the fake media. Um, you, know, you, you walk up and down your block and talk to your neighbors. You won't find one in 100 who actually believes the fake news anymore. So well, you know we're in a good situation, but we are in a dangerous situation because these people have – still a lot of power a lot of financial resources a lot of friends in the judicial system a lot of friends within the you know the bowels of the deep state of the federal government uh, and of course a lot of friends in the fake media so um you know fascinating time to be alive it's really exciting and uh, you know we got to keep praying and keep hoping for the best and keep doing everything we can to make sure that there's justice and make sure that the truth comes out
1: well you uh, know, I, th- I think the New York Times and the Washington Post were hoping that if they just trickle this stuff out little bit by little bit, the rest of us will say, well, that's old news. We already heard about it. We move on. But I think those of us that have been delving into this stuff for the last several years finally got our teeth into it. And I don't think they realized how much of a pitbull that someone like yourself or myself would be, that we were going to keep this up in front.
3: Yeah, and you know, I think the 2016 election was really a turning point in American history and probably world history. Because what it showed was that all of the fake media, the entire machine, the entire propaganda machine of the establishment combined, right, I think out of a 1,000 of the top newspapers in this country, two endorsed Trump and the rest endorsed Hillary. So all of their propaganda megaphones combined could no longer – throwing out the most vitriolic and hateful and slanderous lies about a presidential candidate and his supporters, all of that combined couldn't win an election. Uh, and so what that shows is that the American people have now woken up in large enough numbers to where we can actually put a stop to this stuff. So the, the combined power of the alternative media, you know, radio talk shows, uh, the you know, the growing online you know, conservative and truth journalism uh, combined. Now, this is more significant than, you know, the, the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost and the Communist News Network and all of these combined <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is incredibly important. You know, and historically, that's never happened before. Historically, they've been able to dominate the narrative just by using their fake media organs. And, you know, even if 30 or 40 percent of the American people realized it was all lies, uh, you know, they didn't realize that so many others realized it was all lies. And so people kind of felt isolated, like, yeah, I know it's all lies, but, you know, I don't even dare to talk about it at a family dinner or at church or, you know, when I go see friends. But now kind of, people are talking about it when we saw the, the election, you know, the, the establishment media couldn't win. So this is really, a, you know, a historic time. And, uh, man, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. You know, there's still, I think, 6% of people who have apparently a lot of trust in the media. You wonder where you find these people. I mean, are they, like, living under a rock or in a cave or something? Who knows? Uh, and then you have <laughs> something like 30% of Americans still have at least a fair amount of trust in the media. So that, you know, that leaves about 70% of Americans who recognize the, the media is a joke, is a lie, is a fraud. But, uh, you know, we still have a lot of Americans who we need
2: to wake up, and that means we have a lot of work to do.
1: Curtis, you had a question?
2: Yes. um, You mentioned treason earlier, um, and we know that's a crime. But collusion, as far as I know, isn't a crime. So even if the Trump administration did collude with the Russians, it's not a crime. Now, am I right or wrong? You know, as far as the criminal statutes, I don't
3: know. Uh, I, you know, I think the key thing here is that I, I think this conspiracy theory that they've woven, uh, you know, basically implying without ever saying it that Trump somehow was elected because of Russia. Uh, I think it's a demonstrable lie. Um, you know, I think it is true that the Russians have been interfering in, not only in our elections but in our society. In fact, we have smoking gun evidence of this. Uh, Congress released a report uh, well, a couple of months ago showing that the Kremlin was, uh, was bankrolling uh, pseudo-environmentalist groups in the United States, that they were actually using social media to promote uh, you know global warming, the polar bear fraud, you know we're all going to die if we don't pay a tax to the UN, oil is so bad, you know they were promoting this protest up in the, uh, the Dakotas against the oil pipeline, uh, and the purpose of that it was very clear. They didn't want Americans to access energy. You know Now we're on track to become the biggest exporters of energy in the world, and for Russia, you know, that's an existential threat. Fifty percent of their exports are from energy, right? I mean, that is how they maintain – that's how they prop themselves up. That's how they maintain their dominance over Europe. Uh, so, you know, they the very, Russians very much have been interfering here in the United States. But the idea that, uh, you know, they somehow helped Trump or wanted Trump to win is ludicrous. I, th- I think the real investigation ought to be focusing on Hillary Clinton. You know, we need to get back to talking about Uranium One, right? Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton – Uh, In my view, the evidence that I've seen suggests that they conspired with Kremlin-backed forces, including uh, a bank that everybody knows is controlled by the KGB. They paid Bill Clinton $500,000 to nudge, nudge, wink, wink, give a speech, right? (laughs) Come on, they think we're so stupid. Uh, And then shortly after that, Hillary Clinton votes to approve the sale of 20% of our strategic uranium to a company controlled by the Russian government. Uh, and you know, this was after all the the you know the wheels had been greased by huge donations to the so-called Clinton Foundation, which is basically just a giant criminal enterprise, it's basically a giant uh, extortionist uh, corruption machine. So we do have evidence of Russia doing bad things and of American actors cooperating with Russians doing bad things. Uh, but you know, it's it's a very common communist tactic that when you're caught in some sort of crime you know, even run-of-the-mill criminals do this right you, you walk into a store you know somebody steals something and then the thief someone says oh look there's a thief and the criminal says thief 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 right and points at some other random guy and tries to make his getaway so i think that's very much what we're seeing here with hillary clinton and barack obama and comey and Mueller. you know all these guys they go way back in the deep state you know they're all tied to the council on foreign relations to these elite institutions and Frankly, unless and until this web of criminality gets broken up, uh, you know, I I don't see how we're going to solve this problem. So, uh, you know, whether collusion is or isn't a crime, I actually don't know. But I think, you know, it's plain at this point that there was no collusion. If there had been even a scintilla of collusion, to use uh, Barack Obama's term, uh, they would have published that and leaked it into every newspaper in this country a year ago, right? They've had a year now to come up with something, and they've got nothing except innuendo and demonstrable lies on a dirty dossier that's now, you know, a joke and possibly a criminal indictment waiting to happen. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think that's the situation we find ourselves in, and. If I were Trump, I would be taking you know, more serious action. I think it's time to have a, a special prosecutor here to investigate FBI meddling in this election and FBI collusion with the Clinton campaign and with Barack Obama to throw the election and with the intelligence agencies. You know, These are very, very serious crimes when you try to subvert the election process by weaponizing federal government agencies that ostensibly work for we the people. I mean, this is just blatant criminality. Uh, and it really threatens the foundation of our republic if
2: we don't deal with this. Well, What do well, you I think of think this I tug of war call. between Congress and the Justice Department? I'm sorry, sorry Curtis, could you repeat that?
1: In the line.
2: Uh, I was asked, just asking what did you think of this tug of war between Congress, who has oversight over the Justice Department, and um, the Justice Department not cooperating fully? You know, that's
3: an interesting question, and uh, I'm not sure I understand exactly what's going on at the Justice Department. Actually, I was at a meeting uh, this weekend where Jeff Sessions (laughs) was there, and uh, unfortunately we didn't really get much uh, insight into it, and I I think I can say something about it because somehow it was leaked to the press, but we really didn't get much insight into this. But, you know, if I understand things correctly, um, you know, Sessions seems to not have total control over the Justice Department just yet. Uh, actually, I've been writing now about uh, this institution called the Senior Executive Service, which is basically the top managers of the federal government. Uh, and more than 70% of these people, more than two-thirds of the people in the Senior Executive Service, which is basically the top, the you know, the elite of the federal bureaucracy, the link between the political appointees and the civil service, uh, were appointed during the Obama administration. And, um, you know, they're all anti-Trump nuts, never Trump nuts. Um, you know, they're anti-America first. They're pro-Hillary. And so I think what's happening with the Justice Department uh, and its tug of war with Congress is that, um, you know, Trump and Sessions have not yet been able to get complete control over the Justice Department. And that's a struggle. You know, we have these so-called civil service laws in place that make it practically impossible to fire these nuts. In many cases, even if they're engaged in crimes, we can't get rid of them because the civil service protections are so strong. And so he has a real challenge here to kind of gain control over this department Uh, You know, my my understanding is that Trump and Sessions would have everything to gain by cooperating in this investigation because this would show that there was, um, you know, criminality going on in the DOJ and the FBI to sabotage the elected president of the United States. But uh, you have people like Rosenstein and other people in high-level positions who have everything to lose by letting this information get out, and they know that if it gets to Congress, it's very likely to get to the American people, and, uh, you know, at that point, um, it won't be possible to put – Humpty Dumpty back together again,
1: so to speak. Well, Alex, we've got to call her in on the line. Let me bring him aboard. But uh, as I do that, I want to make a little uh, observation here, because my husband and I were watching that Hillary Clinton speech over at Yale University and trying to hold our cookies down, and uh, she came out with this Russian hat. And she turns around, and her statement was, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, yeah, well, we already know that you joined the Russians years ago. <laughs> but it was
5: just—it
1: was just who exactly where she was coming from, didn't it? Well, the, uh, the caller on the line is our friend Cool Mike, a former co-host of ours. Mikey, go ahead.
6: Hello, <clears throat> good afternoon, everybody. Um, I have three questions for our guests, kind of laid out. Um, Number one, at this stage, do you think Donald Trump knows the truth? He's letting it all play out. Number two, um, what would be the reason um, for uh, basically Congress not pushing? Right now they're kind of going in this tug of war. What would be the reason for them not saying, look, turn it over, done, done? All the because it's obviously majority Republicans, um, are maybe some of them involved in it? Because as we know, a lot of the Republicans didn't like Trump. And number three, is this kind of a JFK-type thing uh, um, unfolding right before our eyes? I mean, I wasn't around when JFK was there, but you read about it, you watch these movies, and you tend to think that uh, this could potentially be something like that. You know a lot more than I do. So those are my questions laid out.
3: Thanks. Well, thank you very much for your call, Michael. Appreciate it. And it's good to hear from a former host of this great radio program. Um,
4: Thank you you for the plug. uh,
3: Your first question. (laughs) Oh, no, you guys are doing awesome work and I so appreciate you and I so appreciate the opportunity to come on. Um, So your first question, you asked about, you know, how much does Trump know? Um, You know, I haven't spoken to him, but. My impression from speaking to people who know him, people who've worked with him, people who've advised him for 40 years, uh, people who worked in his campaign, people who are working in his administration, uh, is that he knows a lot. (laughs) He knows a lot more than he can publicly uh, make known that he knows. And occasionally he drops little hints here and there, you know, um, even about stuff that seems so esoteric, you know, even a lot of people – uh, in kind of the truth, the liberty movement uh, don't really pay much attention to it, like when he you know talks about the Federal Reserve and how they manipulate the economy and how they uh you know rob the American people and how we ought to go back to a hard money and things like that. you know that stuff that for the average American is very obscure, very esoteric stuff that they really have never even considered uh, and for Trump to speak publicly about these things uh you know I was talking to Roger Stone, I had a couple of meetings with him earlier this year. Uh, And, you know, one of the very first things he told me was that Trump's dad um, was actually very close to the John Birch Society, was one of the big funders of the Birch Society, and actually was a personal friend of Robert Welch, the founder of the Birch Society, as well as the founder of the uh, Christian anti-communist crusade. And, um, you know, the the JBS has been putting this information out there, fighting the deep state, so to speak, for about 60 years now. I mean, the the JBS really laid the foundation for this stuff to be exposed uh, over a period of decades. And the fact that Trump comes from a household with these kinds of connections suggests to me that, and you know, he's got a lot of friends also who've been, uh, you know, involved in these sorts of movements. Um, you know, people who've been involved in JBS, people who've been involved uh, in the conservative movement and opposing communism and the establishment. And he also seems to be very patriotic. So I, I think it's clear that Trump knows a lot about a lot. And it's equally clear, I think, that he can't say all of these things openly and in public at the moment because. You know, unfortunately, the American people are not quite ready to hear the full truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, You know, I think it would be shocking to most people to realize the extent of the corruption and the wickedness and the evil that permeates, you know, basically every major institution in this country, from the media to the government to the the monetary authorities at the Federal Reserve um, to the corporate boardrooms. I mean, there's just so much wickedness. And for people to realize that I think would blow a lot of minds. But I think he knows a lot. Uh, I think he knows a lot more than he's letting on. And I think he knows a lot about what he's up against, too. Um, and I think he has to be very strategic and very careful in how he goes about trying to expose these people and stop them. Because if he makes a misstep, um, you know, they will seize on that and and run with it and do their best to you know, destroy him with it. So uh, short answer, I think he knows a lot. I think he knows a lot more than he's letting on. And I think that'll become more clear in the years ahead. Um, as for Congress, uh, you know, you, you, you wondered whether some of the Republicans might be involved in this. I think the short answer to that is absolutely no question about it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there are many good Republicans. Uh, there's good Republicans in Congress. There's good Republicans in the Senate. There's good Republicans in state legislatures across the country. But there's also... Uh, You know, another faction, what what, uh, has come to be called, you know, the rhinos, Republicans in name only, or the Republican establishment, or, you know, liberal Republicans, or Rockefeller Republicans. Sometimes people call them, uh, you know, moderate Republicans. That's what the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost like to call them. Um, But, you know, these people are very, very much involved with the deep state. They've been very much involved with the betrayal of America. People like John McCain, people like Lindsey Graham who like to, you know, pull around with the Bilderberg crowd and join the Council on Foreign Relations, things like this. I mean, these people are all up and down the upper ranks of the Republican Party. Now, I think they're starting to lose control of the Republican Party, and I think that's very good news for America. But they've got a lot of friends in Congress still. And, you know, a lot of these people aren't necessarily, you know, evil conspirators. They just, you know, stick their finger up in the air. Which way is the wind going? Are there the... the Is the establishment going to win or the anti-establishment? And that's the side they join because, you know, they're politicians. That's how they do. Uh, And so I think as it becomes more clear that, you know, the the grassroots are taking charge, I think more of them will come around to the right side. But for right now, I think many of them are probably implicated in uh, this criminal activity that's been going on for so long. And so I think many of them have an interest in trying to suppress it and trying to get rid of Trump. Uh, And I think that's a big danger, and I think Trump understands it very well. Uh, and then finally, you mentioned JFK. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting to talk about JFK. For people who don't know much about him, you know, there's a, a video that he made on YouTube. It's actually an audio recording where he talked about this massive international conspiracy that aimed to enslave every man, woman, and child on the planet. Um, and I think it's important for people to listen to that and listen very closely. You know, he, he was talking about the international communist conspiracy. But I think, you know, in the decades in the generation since then it's become clear that the communist conspiracy was not so much just you know an an ideological movement to try out some new economic system but was really a criminal conspiracy that you know the the ringleaders of this idiocy never believed in communism for a second right that was just a, a cover story to enslave and pillage and plunder and murder and rape and take over the world and also you know a lot of the people who were involved in this movement we're not, we're never even, you know, publicly proclaimed communists, right? You can read the book uh, by one of America's finest historians, Anthony Sutton, about Wall Street. It's called Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution. And what he shows is that a lot of the biggest international bankers on Wall Street actually financed the Russian Revolution and helped enslave Russia, which was a Christian country. Um, and you know, this, there's so much evidence of this and so much evidence that elements in the United States have been cooperating with this. In fact, I just sent in an article late last night that I wrote with uh, my friend Frank de DeVarona in Miami, um, who was a veteran of the Bay of Pigs invasion. We wrote an article on how globalists, CFR members in the Kennedy administration deliberately betrayed the Bay of Pigs fighters so that Castro could win and these guys would lose. And before that, Eisenhower deliberately helped bring Castro to power. Uh, CFR members in his administration, CFR members at the New York Slimes, like Herbert Matthews, who went down and interviewed Castro, said, oh, he's definitely an anti-communist. He's like the George Washington of Cuba. He's so awesome. We should totally support him. Um, You know, this is what we're dealing with here. And um, I think JFK started to understand some of that. I think, you know, he, he openly said he was going to target the Federal Reserve. He openly said he was going to target the Central Intelligence Agency, which unfortunately had become completely dominated by communist operatives and, and um, wicked people. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump is kind of in a similar position. And so, you know, to go back to my, in my meetings with Roger Stone earlier this year, who's been advising Trump uh, since the 80s, and actually was the one who recommended that he run for president, um, you know, he actually brought up JFK. He said the, the deep state will remove Trump or will try to remove Trump by any means necessary. Uh, Robert Mueller and his phony investigation, are you know, plan A, Ah, uh, Plan B. They've already floated trial balloons for that. Oh, the president's crazy, right? We have to get rid of him under the 25th Amendment because he's totally nuts, and if we let him stay in power, he's going to ruin America. So they tried that, right? If you guys remember, you know, right around the New Year, that was really being pushed in the Communist News Network, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post that he was nuts. And then finally, uh, Roger Stone said, you know, their their last option would be to do what they did to JFK and just try to put a bullet in his head. Um, you know, whether that would work in derailing what he has kind of started, I don't know. But would the insiders stoop that low to stop him?
7: Absolutely,
3: they would. I mean, they don't look at killing people in the way that a normal person like you or I would look at killing people. For them, it's just you know a tactic in a process that they're trying to achieve certain goals that they want to achieve. How do we know this? Because they've killed people all over the world. They've killed people by the millions. And, uh, you know, what's one more person? They they don't have any moral scruples in that way. So uh, good questions. I hope those are adequate answers for you. And if you have any follow-up ones, uh, you know, if it's okay uh, with Annie and with Curtis, I'm happy to take them. Well,
6: so in other words, uh, yeah, well, just to follow up, I only have one. Thanks. Uh, They were great answers. Be a uh, basically um, an American coup d'etat, basically of – what we what we refer to confidently as the uh, establishment or deep state, correct? If uh, if Precisely. those were the measures taken, because I know uh, the Dalai Lama, I mean, we've got a history of doing this. So
3: that's right. Well, they, they've become masters at overthrowing governments that they don't like, and uh, you know they've been incredibly successful. You can look at how they uh, betrayed Chiang Kai-shek and supported a coup d'etat against him by uh, Chairman Mao, who was supposed to be, according to the New York Times and our State Department, an agrarian reformer who just didn't want the oppression of Chiang Kai-shek, right? who was an anti-communist, pro-American, hardcore U.S. ally who had helped us defeat the Japanese. Uh, you can look at how they did in Cuba. Uh, you can look at what they did in Iran. You can look at what they did in Guatemala. I mean, they have become masters at overthrowing governments that they don't like. But I think Trump is a whole different animal for them. (laughs) He seems to be uh, smarter and uh, and more adept at this. He seems to have a more uh, in-depth understanding of how they work. And, um, you know, occasionally something that seems like a misstep later makes sense. So, uh, you know, I I have high hopes that that he'll – Last, Uh, you know, apparently he's been taking very serious steps to ensure his security. uh, And I think that's a very wise decision. Um, You know, he's done a fairly good job of uh, neutralizing the Robert Mueller threat. You know, Robert Mueller came out now with some phony indictments. I think the American people would pretty much laugh. Uh, And then, you know, the idea that he's crazy. That trial balloon, you know, and they really pushed it hard to their credit. You know, they had all these phony experts, and here's a psychiatrist here, and a president of a psychiatric association there. Oh, he's clearly crazy. And that didn't work either, right? Trump's poll numbers are now higher than they've ever been. So, um, you know, I I think they're kind of running out of options here, and I think that terrifies them. So, uh, again, you know, I go back to what I said earlier. When you have a a dangerous animal cornered, uh, they're liable to react with extreme measures. And so we are, despite all the excitement and all the rest of it, I think we are – um at a dangerous time as well so thank you,
6: I'll
1: well, you annie. all right well, believe it or not our studio switchboard is filling up like crazy they'd love you alex let me bring the next caller in oh, on the well, line um area code, uh area code 937 you're on the air live with southern sense i'm your host annie along with my co-host curtis our guest is alex newman to whom am i speaking
0: Hey, my name's Mike. I got over six thousand hours studying politics. Everybody's scared to talk to me. Uh, the John Gibson show has censored me. Uh, you went, there's a lot of subjects that everybody in the, everybody's scared to talk about. Are you right. guys aware of this
1: we're, we're running low on time here. Uh, what is your question or comment, please?
0: Well, not all races are the same, and if you study the Robert Putnam study, which is the large do you know what do you guys know what the Robert Putnam study is?
1: All right. I don't entertain racist callers on the show. Thank you anyway for um, listening. Yeah, good call. I mean, <laughs> we're it. all you part of the human race. We all
3: come from Adam and and Noah, and you know, to to try to push racism. It's just another tool of division uh, that the enemy uses to keep the American people divided and arguing amongst each other instead of actually dealing with the real problems we're facing.
1: So. Well, cool, Mike, can tell you that we have a tendency to go after people like that, because he was my co-host at the time, Mike, if you remember, that guy from New York, Bob, that wrote that book, (laughs) Multiculturalism. Boy, did we tear him apart. Oh, man. I
6: I still like the part when Michelle Bachman hung up, because you asked her the questions (laughs) that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, One of the things, that comment you just made, you know, it's kind of like when Jesse Jackson or uh, whoever You get asked a question where they're backed into a corner, right away they'll be like, well, Annie and Mike are racists, and I knew coming on the show they were going to hurl the race card. Or they start talking about 200 years ago. um, This happens in politics, not just on the race issue, but when you trap these politicians. Because if you notice, Mueller is really staying away from certain things that will indict himself. (laughs) Uh, He wasn't doing that six months
8: ago.
3: Yep, yeah, it's uh, interesting times.
1: (laughs) That it is. It's the method of divide and conquer, because the chat room is going crazy on this, too, uh, saying the same things that we are saying. And uh, it's interesting. It is absolutely interesting. I just Uh, just
6: hope that Trump uh, Trump will keep it up, because, I mean, this is scary stuff, and it's a reality. I mean, let's put ourselves in the situation, all of us here, Curtis, myself, Annie, our guests, we all love this country. We all put ourselves in front of the country. But, I mean, they're, you know, Martin Luther King knew he was, his days were numbered, and it takes a lot. I don't know if JFK did, but, I mean, it, that's a scary situation to be in, knowing that they are out there wanting to get you, because ultimately the deep state is very big. They're very well financed. They're amazingly well organized, and they're good at what they do. That's and you right, are
2: Mike, and uh, they wouldn't have gotten in the position that they're in. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was gonna say Mike is right. Um uh, this president I think is going through a very dangerous time because the closer he gets to um exposing the deep state, the more desperate they're gonna get and the more callous they're gonna get in their attempts to draw, you know, them from finding out exactly, you know, who is behind what and why. So he's got to be very careful. And from my understanding, from the beginning, he kept his own security force, um, and pretty much the Secret <laughs> Service is augmenting them. I don't know if that's still true today, but you know, he seems to have a handle on it. So we'll see. Yeah. hmm
3: And you know, I I don't think prayers hurt. You know, the Bible tells us, you know, pray for your leaders, pray for those in authority, and. Um, I think we need to be taking that seriously. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, you know, I, I think we need divine intervention here, and um, and we we ought to be praying for our president. So,
1: well, I think mean, the Pope, Thatcher, and Ronald looked- Reagan
6: uh, was what six months? They tried to assassinate all three of them: the Pope, Thatcher, yep. and uh, Ronald Reagan. I mean, I'm sorry, Annie. Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say you probably also look at the people that he is connected with because they're going after um, Roger Stone with tooth and nails. Um, there yep. was the one cabinet member uh, that was vilified as being the one that was leaking. His last name begins to see. And oh, God, I can see his face. And I can't think of his name. Uh, but he was up on Fox News last night, and there was publicly on air people that went after him apologizing to him for vilifying him. Uh, But they're going after anyone connected with Trump, hoping to peel away that protective layer from him in order to get him to break down. But I think people like yourself and others are backing him up. There's too many layers around uh, protecting him at this point, I think.
3: Yep, and I hope that will remain true. Um, You know, they they try to demoralize his supporters. They try to tell us – you know lies and and come up with indictments and try to scare everybody you know it, it seems like everybody who uh even comes within like one degree of separation of President Trump ends up needing to have to lawyer up and you know fend off indictments and fend off hostile media and hit pieces in the in the establishment media but um you know through it all his uh, his you know core supporters have stuck with him. he's gained new supporters, you know just the other day, Glenn Beck, who was one of the never trumpers I thought, I'm put on a, a you know make America great again hat. Um, so you know some of these tactics seem to be backfiring, and um, you know I, I hope that's a sign of things to come. And uh, I hope he'll stay true. I hope he'll be able to you know keep the the deep staters and the swamp monsters at bay, and uh, you know keep doing the right thing and keep doing what he campaigned on, which was just an absolutely brilliant campaign platform. I mean I, I disagreed with a couple of the points he made, but uh, you know overall it was just so refreshing to hear. You know I'm going to stop globalism. I'm going to drain the swamp. I'm going to put America first. We're going to get out of all these dumb trade deals that to surrender our sovereignty, we're going to crush the U.N. global warming schemes, and you know, just so much music to my ears, uh, and he's done such a good job on it in just a year. Or so,
1: Well, Alex, I don't know if you want to stick around, because we've got our next guest up, because uh, I think the two of you will have fun speaking with each other, too. Uh, but before I do that, um, before I bring on, I want to mention that uh, I don't do advertising on the show, but this is for myself. It's something I got involved with. It's called Earthwater. And Earthwater is a company that's faith-based and patriotic. They are getting affiliates signed up. It's not there in the complete public just yet. But if you want to make a couple of extra bucks on the side, go to my website, which is the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle, southern Uh Click on the Earth Water link. You can become an affiliate and earn a 10% commission. Uh, check it out. It explains everything up on the website. If you see me drinking my cup, it is Earth Water that I am drinking. It's a cool-looking bottle. So check it out, Earth Water, over on my webpage, the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. Let's welcome aboard onto the show our buddy, Dan Perkins. Good afternoon, Dan. We have with us Alex Nolan of the new uh with us. So we're going to have a blast today, I think. Oh,
4: so yeah, good I hope so. afternoon. I
3: would really love to hey, – hey, Dan. Uh, unfortunately, I would really love to stay, but uh, I thought we were just going to go until 3, and so I've made uh, another commitment. I've got another interview. I've got to hop on here real soon. Um Maybe next time we do it, if, 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 you, know, if you guys want to do uh, with an extra guest, that would be awesome. Just uh, let me know a little bit in advance, and I would love to stick around for an extra hour or so.
1: Well, thank you, Alex. I'm telling people to check out your website. There's a link on the show page here, thenewamerican.com. And God bless you for all the hard work you do, sir.
3: Hey, thank you guys so much. God bless you as well, and I uh, look forward to our next time. So thank you so much, and take care. Take care, Alex. All
1: right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Danny. Danny, 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 always love having you on. There is so much going on. I don't even know where to start with you. Um, We were supposed to have have Catherine Templeton with us. (laughs) We were supposed to have Catherine Templeton with us today, but because of the bad weather here in South Carolina, her plans got all changed, so she's up in the air on a plane right now. She will be with us on uh, June 5th, uh, which is a Tuesday So if you're looking for Catherine Templeton, she will be with us. But uh, I had so much stuff. My papers are tossed all over my desk, Dan. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, man, I'm trying to think of where. Oh, here we go. wanted to talk to you because – You've got great books out there that people can find on your website at uh, dot You also have the songs and stories for soldiers up on that website, too. There's a link on the show page here for people to check out your webpage for the charity work you do and all the hard things you, you keep on. Plus, you have your own TV and radio show. Boy, am I a little tiny fish in the pond compared to you. Uh, but well, um, all the of, Washington all our are important. Re- Oh, they, they, yes, they are. Um, The Washington Free Beacon had an article out that on this past Friday, the Defense Department announced that the U.S.-led coalition completed 66 strikes against the Islamic State between May 11th to 17th, uh, combined Joint Task Force Operation Inherent Resolve, and its partners struck ISIS caves, campsites, training camps, bomb factories, and other targets in Iraq during the five of the past seven days. No strikes were carried out on Sunday or Thursday. In Syria, where despite the coalition's progress, ISIS had been able to gain a foothold in parts of the country, and strikes occurred every day of the week, forces targeted and destroyed an ISIS command and control center, several vehicles, weapons storage facilities, supply routes, bomb factories, communication buildings, and several fighting positions it looks like Trump is keeping his word in really taking the war on terror to another level.
8: No question. It, 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 um the thing that we have to be careful of is that um, a lot of people in, and people in Congress seem to think that, um, I, think this, I don't know what's going on. Somebody, all right? We got some background noise here. Yeah, let's
1: see if we can. There we go. Okay. Try it now. That's
8: good. Thank you. Uh, Good. Thank you. Um, So, what we have to be careful of is that we may have degraded and reduced ISIS in uh, in Syria and Iraq. Uh, We have far from destroyed them. Uh, we forget that in this whole period of time since their evolution, when president Trump drew the red line in the sand or president Obama drew the red line in the sand, uh, they are now in 32 countries around the world and working very hard to take over the governments of those 32 countries. Um, It's clearly happening, for example, in Turkey. Um, The leadership there wants to make Sharia law, the law of the land. And, um, and so that, that, that we may have physically defeated them. However, some are some of our old favorites, Al Qaeda and uh, the Taliban, are raising their ugly heads again. Um, it's it's like it's like a, a a bad uncle that will never go away. He just stays and stays and stays. Uh, but we have to we have to deal with the the center here that we're talking about of where all this. Is coming from and that's coming out of the mullahs in Tehran because see they're the ones that are putting out the money that are supporting ISIS and other terrorist organizations wherever they are in, in the world and what the president did when he withdrew from the nuclear document because it's not a treaty it was never ratified by the Congress uh, and said he's going to put sanctions on you're creating a situation where um again, we in the main the mainstream media is not reporting this, but they're not reporting, for example, any of the 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 protest in southern Iran by college students and and people in general who are opposed to uh, being coming under sanctions because of the nuclear program. Now, this is a very, very important, thing that's going on, because, again, if we, uh, we are not well-schooled in this country about what's happening at a, under the Muslim religion, we have, for example, in our nation, we our founding fathers um, put a portion of the Constitution that says that no government can form a religion. So we have a, what we call the separation of church and state. If you look at the first nine chapters of the Quran, they deal with life and how Muslims interact with infidels and other Muslims. Beyond that, it's all about the government. See, in, in, in the Muslim faith, the religion is the government. And so, what's happening, will, will it be possible? with the the religious figures of the mullahs in charge of the country, will the people become so secularized that they will abandon the tenets of the Muslim faith to overthrow the government? That is a huge unknown and a very important issue.
1: Uh, I I don't see that happening within Islam because the moment you – Abandon the tenets of the Muslim faith You become an apostate Thus subject to being executed You know a fatwa will go on your head So you have a choice between Life or death And what will 99.9% of people always choose They choose to live even if it is under despotism
8: Well that's There's certainly uh, um, A rationale to that thought But let me suggest that much like the Western world has gone through and is, and is going through a great secularism in the various religious faiths, meaning they don't need a relationship with an institution. They don't need a relationship with a known deity. They believe they can make their own decisions. They don't need a moral compass. They don't need somebody to help them figure out what to do. So what's happening is that the Christian and Jewish faith are losing participants because uh, people are becoming more westernized. And and as a result, uh, they're moving away from the Muslim faith. And strangely enough, they seem to be migrating uh, more to Christianity than any other faith. Uh, if they move to a new faith, so but there are people who are abandoning Sharia, abandoning the Muslim tenets and the Muslim faith because they think there 's perhaps a better way now you 're right once you cross over that line, you become an infidel, and you 're no different than anybody else uh, in in the eyes of those people but i 'm just saying that there are things going on in the Muslim world that um, are going to have an impact on how things happen. And I think, much like what we've seen in North Korea, where the sanctions that were put on by the United States with cooperation with China and Russia has really brought Mr. Kim to the table, I suspect that economic sanctions against the people and the leadership, specifically the Mullers and the country of Iran, that change in economic certainty and survival will come into play might have a very major impact on what the rest of the people do in the country of Iran.
1: Well, we've got a caller in on the line that's been waiting rather patiently. Let me bring this person in. Area Code 612, you're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis. Our guest is Dan Perkins. To whom am I speaking?
7: Yes, ma'am. My name is David. Um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, how are you all doing today? All right. Thank you. All right. I, I can hardly hear you. Can speak a little louder? Yeah, sorry about that. Is it better now or still? Uh,
1: that's a little bit better. Go ahead. Your question or comment?
7: Yeah, I just had a quick comment and then a question. Um, To the point earlier when you talked about uh, how Trump's able to sort of withstand a lot of these issues that he's dealing with, I think this goes back to the campaign. And I feel like if it wasn't for the fact that you had a large number of Christians in this country praying for this man, uh, there was no way he would have won. Because literally the guy was, you know, tripping over coffee tables and stepping on rakes. And he would say things three or four times a week that would, like, torpedo anybody else's campaign. But yet he still remained standing. And when I saw that, that's what told me clearly this guy's got God's favor on his side because there's no other way to explain how in the world he made it through even the Republican primary. So I think that's why all these efforts by the state to take him down have ultimately failed. Otherwise, he would have already been taken down by now because I think clearly he doesn't look like a person that's you know you would think is totally uh, you know up aboard. I mean, he's clearly a corrupt individual. And I think he's succeeding despite himself. Um, to my question – in the midterms, do you think that the Republicans will be able to grow their margins in the Senate, and how much of a loss do you think they'll take in the House?
8: Well, you're, good question, Dan. That, sure, uh, I have been writing and talking about for months that the the Democrats are drinking the same Kool Aid that they drank in 2016. Uh, There there was a, uh, today I heard in my car, a Democratic congressman from Texas who said, quote, the midterm campaign has to be about the impeachment of Donald Trump, period. I've said for months that impeachment is a losing issue for the Democratic Party. And the defeat of the Democratic Party in the midterm is going to leave the pundits, who were sitting at those same desks in November of 2016, flabbergasted that Donald Trump won over Hillary Clinton, are going to be sitting at those same chairs, flabbergasted at how did we lose even more seats in an off-year election when we were supposed to gain, and how did we lose total control of the Senate? The problem is that they are not being responsive. Nancy Pelosi goes out and talks about if we get control of the, the Congress, we are going to raise everybody's taxes. Well, Annie, who wants to vote for that? I don't think a lot of people want to vote to have their taxes increased. So they're on the wrong side of both agendas. They are being unrealistic. They're moving further and further to the left, away from the majority of the the traditional Democrats and the rest of the country. So I think you could see a good old-fashioned, excuse me, ass-whipping in the midterm elections, and they can't see the train coming, and it's coming full bore. Uh, If they run on a campaign based on the impeachment of Donald Trump and increasing taxes... They can't win. They just can't win. And you know what, And There doesn't have to be any other issues. Just those two issues alone is enough to see that the Democrats lose a significant portion of the House and maybe as many as 10 seats in the Senate.
1: Well, I think, honestly, that the Democrats have actually lost touch with the common man. And where Trump wins, Mm. even though he may be not eloquent in how he speaks or how he approaches issues, he speaks the language of the common man. And he says things that all of us are thinking but are afraid of political correctness and afraid to say. So when he calls little Kim, little Kim, it's like everyone else is going, oh, you can't call the leader of another country a, a name. Why not? They do it to us. They call us the evil Satan, so why don't we call evil back evil? You know, why don't we just call right. it like it is, which is what he is doing? And it's not all bluster because he turns around to little Kim. you got a choice. You come to the table or you we go to war. Right. And you've got still South there? Korea Any? sitting in uh, – I'm sorry. I didn't catch his name. Air code 612. I didn't catch your name. Yes, my
8: name's
7: David. I'm
8: still here. David? Uh, okay. Can I – Yep. Jim, can a that. Okay, can I just ask him a quick question? Sir, I need to ask go ahead, you a question. Please. Have you read The Art of the Deal? Uh, no, I have not. But right. you go. you need to you need to read The Art of the Deal. In fact, any all of your listeners need to read The Art of the Deal to understand that what Mr. Trump is doing as president is exactly that he's done all of his life, in all the deals that he's made in building his empire. If you read the Art of the Deal, you will understand that there's a rationale for calling Little Kim Little Kim. There's a rationale for it because he's he's trying to unsettle the competition or the, or the competitor. And and so I strongly suggest that you put a link on your website, Annie, for Art of the Deal. At Amazon because it really needs to be read and um, uh, it gives people great insight. Great insight, the 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 not only of the st- of the style and the structure of how to negotiate, but one of the things when I I, I read the book twice. Now I have it on audio and listening to it to a third time. One of the things that strikes me, Annie, in this book how hard this man works every day. If he's brought to the presidency, the same kind of tenacity and commitment to work ethic to the big president that he had when he was running his companies. And I believe he does. That's why he's been able to get things done. You know, you made the comment, Annie, he doesn't speak eloquently. He speaks more like the common man. You're absolutely right. It is. And it's because he speaks And he says the things that many people, for political correctness purposes, are refusing to say that people gravitate to him. Because he's saying what they're thinking and are afraid to say. And he stands up to everybody. And one of the the famous lines, somebody hits you, you hit them back harder. Um, We haven't seen a president like this. In a long time, and he is an executive. Uh, we we have a, a a governor Rick Scott here in Florida, whose his, his term is up, and is running for Senate. And his campaign is send a business send as many business people as possible to Washington to clean up the swamp, because it's business people who understand what America needs as a country to grow and prosper and survive. And government is not the answer to the question. And what Mr. Trump is doing, what he's doing is showing that he has adapted to the change in the world and a lot of people, you know, our politicians in our government who says he's not being presidential. Well, let's see. Was Barack Obama presidential? Based on what we're hearing today, I don't think so. He had a pen and a phone, and he was going to skirt the Constitution and the process designed by our founding fathers, which is why we never got a chance to vote on a treaty with Iran because he knew it would never pass, so he did it through executive order. And so all I'm saying is that we are in a different time. And when I grew up, you know, it was a different time. When Annie grew up, it was a different time. When our colour grew up, it was a different time. And now we're dealing with the reality of what we have to have with today. And we need somebody who can clean up this mess that we have in Washington that seems to get deeper and deeper. And I, I did a piece that was on, your listeners can go to constitution.com, look up my name, you'll see a piece that came out last weekend. And it basically talks about the swamp water in the Justice Department and the FBI is rising and it's getting filthier. I have never seen such corruption in my entire life of what's going on in the Justice Department and the FBI in this country. The total disregard for the rights of individual citizens, unbelievable, unbelievable. And what's amazing, Annie, to me that's very frustrating for me is that they refuse to investigate themselves. Look how long we've been dealing with this situation, with the accusations about Mr. Trump that were false, and we still have people in place who are conflicted, but they're still there. And it's amazing that, this, that it is an example of how powerful the deep state is in this country, and we have to clean it up. Hey Dan, I don't know yes, if you sir. ever seen the.
2: Movie. I don't know if you ever seen the movie Patton, but there's I a did. scene where Patton goes up against Rommel, the great German tank commander, and he defeats mm-hmm. him. And mm-hmm. after he defeats him, he says, "I read your book. I read your book." Hmm. And right. in today's context, I really think uh, Trump read um, Sal Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. Because rule number five says ridicule is man's most potent weapon, and Donald Trump is good at at ridicul, you know, ridiculing people, just like you mentioned, mm-hmm. the little Marco right. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, he also says mm-hmm. things like, like rule number eight, rules for radicals: keep the pressure on, never let up, and right. that's Trump all the way. So I think um, the left is really being outdone. By those on the right using the method that the left have taken ownership for so so many decades. Uh, I,
8: I think you make an excellent point. I, I would just simply add to that. what What is what is refreshing to me is that we we, we came through. Um, and I mean, no disrespect when I say this, Andy, uh, we came through. Bush 41, Bush 43, and uh, and a Republican leadership that just wanted to, to get along. They didn't really want to make any waves. They just wanted to be able to be cordial and get along with the Democrats. And the problem with that was that the Democrats never wanted to get along. The problem that the Democrats are having with Donald Trump and have had from the very first day is that, Donald Trump has refused to capitulate to the to the Democratic playbook, which means in the past, Republicans, regardless of whether they're in power or not, have to kowtow to Democrats. They have to give Democrats what they want, regardless of whether or not the Democrats are in power. And we have had presidents who have basically done that. Here we have a president who says, no, we're no longer going to do that. And the Democrats. Didn't believe it in the beginning, but he's done so many things to support the contention. I'm going to do what I think is right for the country, not what's good for the Democratic Party. You know, when, when Donald Trump in his, in his presidential campaign, I remember watching this, when he was in Detroit and he was speaking at the black church, he said to them, what have you got to lose to vote for me? what has the democratic mm-hmm. party done for you over the last 50 years what have you got to lose well what did they the question now what did they gain for voting him in we have the lowest black and hispanic unemployment in decades people are going back to work they're finding jobs and they're finding their pride and purpose uh, all because Mr Trump decided that he could help America be great again. And he brought everybody with us. He took everybody with us on this journey to make America great again. And the momentum, I mean, Annie, we, I just had one with in with a labor lawyer, and we were talking about we are just over a year, maybe a year and a quarter in Trump's first term. And we now have a national unemployment rate of 3.9%, and in some areas of the country, approaching two. And we really haven't gotten the the economy big time rolling yet. So we've got a situation where we've got a shortage of people, an economy that wants to expand. I saw the Federal Reserve Bank of New York yesterday, and he says that they think, that fourth quarter GDP for this country this year will be 4.1%. 4.1%. Wow. So we, we've wow. got a, a growing labor shortage because people believe in America can be great again and people can succeed. And the uh, there, there are so many things that are intertwined that – a lot of people in the media haven't yet to figure out. Here's, here's one that I've been talking about for a long time. When Donald Trump, he picked two cabinet people, and I said at the time when he nominated Rex Tillerson and Perry for state and energy, they're there for one very specific job. In in December of 2015, in the Omnibus Spending Bill, the Congress passed and the President signed the elimination of the embargo on the shipping of crude oil from America's reserves. We now are on track to close to 11 million barrels of oil a day By the end of this year, we may be, in fact, the largest producer of crude oil in the world. And as part of the deal, yesterday – I think I'm going to sneeze, Andy. I'm sorry, but I'm trying to fight it. (laughs) That's Um, fine. The the announcement with the the Chinese about trying to do something about tariffs. One of the things that most people, again, don't know – is that the Chinese country is exactly the same way was America was when Jimmy Carter was president, meaning eighty-five per, or sixty-five percent of all of their energy needs have to be imported. They are hugely dependent on foreign oil. Now, when the president said he was not going to certify. Iran's compliance, and they're going to put in economic sanctions and cut energy shipments. They're the third largest exporter of crude oil in the world, about 3 million barrels a day. The Chinese refineries, the next morning, the next morning said they would be looking for alternative sources of crude oil because they were depending so much on Iranian crude. That's a tremendous opportunity for the American oil industry to export even more and to become the dominant exporter. We are cheaper and closer, so the transportation's cost to ship oil from the United States to Asia is much cheaper than shipping it from the Middle East. So we're going to be the dominant player in energy, which is going to put tens of thousands, if not millions, of people to work in this country in very good-paying jobs, developing our natural resources, and exporting it around the world. All these things are intertwined, and they fit together as like puzzle pieces. Um, Tillerson did his job in helping open up the markets for oil companies. Perry's trying to deregulate energy as much as possible. Tillerson finished his job. He moved on. Uh, Perry will probably move on uh, at some point in time. So you you have to, Annie, you have to look at more than just one item. You have to see how the whole puzzle fits together. How do the pieces fit together? And what does the picture look like when the puzzle pieces are filled in?
1: Well, now, my question is, because we only have a limited number of refineries here in the United States. There hasn't been a new one built since the 1970s. Uh, We'll going to try to get more refineries built. Because if we have all this oil, and if we need it for our own domestic consumption, we have to then ship it out to get it refined, which, of course, that's drives up the cost for us.
8: Yes, it does. And and I, I think one of the things that he's talking about in his infrastructure, the idea is to build uh, some more refineries. But keep in mind that um, from a profit standpoint, if I simply ship the raw commodity to those Chinese distillers and refiners who need to do it to provide energy for china um uh, I take it out of the ground put it in a boat and ship it uh It's very profitable for us um but you're right we have to we have to look at our energy infrastructure we got to look at our highways and bridges and tunnels and airports, but we're gonna have the money i mean this is another thing that's that's um we could do a whole program on what I'm about to say, Annie, is that we have a Congress that looks at budgets as static. And so when the Congressional Budget Office is asked to score a budget proposal and Mr. Trump says, I want to cut taxes on corporations from 35 to 21, the Congressional Budget Office calculates how much revenue – is gonna go back to the businesses, not go to the government and say, okay, you've gotta come up with an offset. That's what is called static accounting. It takes nothing into consideration as to what happens if that money is saved and goes back into the economy in terms of dividends to shareholders, building new plan and equipment, not there. And so what, what we're now finding is that where the Democrats were saying that Trump's tax bill may cost a trillion dollars, Now the congressional budget office is saying, well, maybe not. Maybe it'll actually pay for itself. And so um, we have to think differently. We have to look at things. And um, I'm hopeful that since Mr. Trump got a two-year funding bill for the military and this disastrous budget bill, that he's going to live up to his word in September, just before the midterm elections, he's never going to sign another one of those. And either it's going to be done right or he's going to veto it. And that means shutting down the government. So be it.
1: I mean, last time they threatened for the government shutdown, I said, and that's a bad thing. How? Especially since it was over the weekend when there's no one working in the government anyway. You know, it, right. they, they make these threats. They make it sound like the sky is falling. No, the sky is not falling. The sun's going to rise tomorrow. It'll be a, mm-hmm. another day. i going to work. The world is not going to fall apart if our government shuts down for a few days. It's happened in the past many times, so it can also Mm -hmm. happen in the future without any big damage. The military will get paid, the senior citizens will get their Social Security checks, and life goes on as usual.
8: Yes, absolutely. But a lot of people get, when they hear about shutdown, they get scared. And and it behooves the Republicans to, and, and I think this is what's different. See, a lot of people don't understand that the last weekend shutdown on Friday night, Chuck Schumer was taking a stand, and he was saying to the American people, the Democratic Party stands for illegal immigration over pay for soldiers and medicines for children, and he had to swallow that over the weekend in in two days, he'd given up. He he backed off. So what happened was that the credibility and the commitment of the Democratic leadership collapsed over that shutdown, and they've never recovered since then. And so they can give all the rhetoric they want, but in practical reality they're losing control and they don't understand it. There are some Democrats who look at the leadership in the Congress and say they're old and they're not very effective and they're not speaking to the needs of the people they need to go. So my guess is that one one of the things that will happen out of the midterm election is that the Democrats will not get control of the House but in January of 2019, I don't think Nancy Pelosi will be the minority leader of the, of the the in the House. And I'm not sure that Chuck Schumer will be the minority leader in the Senate.
1: Mm, they both got to go. Oh, please. Mm-hmm. Along with my
8: lambsy gramnesty.
1: Oh, geez. Yes. I got to tell you, though, there is some hope here in this great state of South Carolina because we've got a referendum on our November ballot, and it's the foot in the door, And hopefully you'll be able to kick the door wide open so that now, instead of having uh, uh, open primaries like we have, party registration will be allowed on your voter registration card. It's going to make it a little bit more difficult and embarrassing for someone to present their voter registration card at a Republican primary when it says you're a registered Democrat. So once we get that, then we can now move forward the constitutional amendment to our state constitution to make it – Registration by party And that closed the primaries So we're on our way To get rid of people such as Lamesy, Gramnesty, because here in the South You know, uh, we have A lot of people with an R behind the name But when you actually look at what they do They're Democrats They're Republicans Rhinos, and only, complete
5: line.
8: rhinos. Absolutely and, and, and I think what you're hearing I had predicted uh, Some time ago What we're hearing from Mr. Trump today Mr. Trump is going out, and as he's traveling around the country, he's saying, I need real Republicans. And so I, I sense that given the treatment by the rhinos in name only, then as we get closer and closer to the midterm elections, I expect to see the president more and more vocal about the need to replace. People in Congress, Democrats and some Republicans, with true Republicans, and I think that'll be part of the groundswell. Is that they're they're going to want to give him everything he needs and wants to make this country great again? And it's a great story. I mean, it's it's you know I, I look at I look at the people who who criticize Mr. Trump but one is not being very presidential. And the other, the other criticism of Mr. Trump is I wish he'd stop tweeting. I wish he would stop tweeting. And I say to people, are you nuts? Because if right now the mainstream media is 93% biased against Mr. Trump and he stops tweeting, who's going to defend him? Nobody.
1: Well, you know what I what, what I love about his tweeting is he speaks directly to the American people. He turns around, and gives the middle finger to lamestream media, and says, "You're not going to report what I say correctly anyway, so I'm going to put it out there directly to the public. I'm going to get the feedback directly from the public, so it'll be we, the people, and not you, the, the third estate."
8: Yeah, and I, I get. I, I I hate to keep. Let's log in this book, which if you go back to the art of the deal, what you'll understand is that while this is a very, very wealthy man, he made his way. He made his own way. Yeah, he got some money from his dad, but he left his dad business and started on his own. And he learned and he and he's more blue collar. I mean, how can how can a president be all bad if he loves a Wendy's triple cheeseburger? Can't be all that bad. <laughs>
1: Well, i got to tell you, the chat room loves you. They loved Alex, but they also love you. Uh, so I, they're going to be going to your website to get your book. But i got to tell you, uh, not only on your website do you have your books and your articles, but you also have the songs and, and stories for soldiers, the charity that you and your yes, wife ma'am. run, uh, where you help mm-hmm. uh, our our military men and women out there that have PTSD or are suffering from other things with your songs yes. and stories, giving them a little MP three player. Um you also have the other book out and I gotta tell you guys, this is the God's honest truth. I was at my doctor's uh just a couple of weeks ago and my doctor's mother is suffering from Alzheimer's and we talked about this book, Why Grammy Can't Remember Me. And mm-hmm. it's awesome book, a really, really good handbook, I think. Even though it's told as a story mainly for children, it's an adult guidebook. And I was talking to my doctor about the book. And, you know, he's heavily into working with different charities that help people with dementia. And I mentioned Mm -hmm. your book, Dan, to him, and I was telling him about it. And honest truth, folks, I was walking out of the doctor's office, dialing Dan on the phone, asking him if he would send a copy of the book to him, signed, autographed, Uh, and as I'm walking out, I'm giving him the address, and Dan, God bless you. Thank you.
8: You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I was going to send him, um, uh, after I sent it, when you get a chance off the air, just send me his name and address again because I want to send him a hard copy uh, since he wants to do it with a silent auction. It would be a nicer gift. So when you get a chance, just send me his name and address And I'll send him a hard copy of the book. So, for the, I think it'll make a better presentation for the silo auction. But can I go back to Songs and Stories? Sure. Okay. Songs is, for those of you who don't know, Songs and Stories for Soldiers was started based on an inspiration from the Lord to me uh, while I was driving on Interstate 75 going from one side of Florida to the other. And um, it is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps veterans deal with many things, but post-traumatic stress disorder, sleep deprivation, and suicide prevention, among other things. And uh, we give the the veterans, now in over 100 facilities across the United States, and we've delivered over 15,000 players, an MP3 device that comes preloaded with two novels and one eight-hour custom-designed sleep audio designed to help to get the veteran to REM-level sleep where the recuperative process happens. Um, We have been also used, our program is used in kidney dialysis facilities in the hospitals, chemotherapy, but we're doing two amazing, new amazing things that I wanted to spend just a moment to talk about. By the way, if you go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us, you can make a donation for $10 to, to, to defray the cost of a player going to a veteran. But anyway, um, I got involved here in, uh, in the Florida where I live. Uh, Florida has the third largest number of veterans in the United States and the fastest growing population of veterans in the United States. And the state of Florida has the the state of Florida um, uh, Department for Veterans. And one of the functions that they provide in the Department of Veterans Affairs is there are seven facilities across the state that provide nursing home care for uh, early onset dementia and full-blown dementia. and these facilities are between 120 and 150 patients, and um, we were approached by the director of the facility in in Port Charlotte, north of here. Uh, she had heard about she had heard me at a presentation to a veterans group, and uh, she wanted to know if we could supply her soldiers with the MP3 players. And I said we'd be happy to. So about three days later, she called me, and she said, I have another request. I said, well, I'll do what I can. She says, I'm also the co-chair of Honor Flight. I'd known about Mm. Honor Flight for a number of years, and I'd been very frustrated because I was trying to find an in to get into Honor Flight because I thought, um, and it'll, it'll make sense to you in just a moment, that we could do something for those aging veterans. And she said, uh, I'd like to talk to you uh, about your MP3 program for Honor Flight. I said, give me a time, I'll be there. So I went up, and we sat down and talked. And um, two weeks ago, last Saturday, the first Honor Flight out of Fort Myers went to Washington and came back, and they all the returning veterans were given an MP3 player from Songs and Stories for Soldiers. We also are going to be doing another program with the Honor Flight of Tampa. And they're going to do three flights this year, and there are Honor Flights all over the state of Florida. So we're going to try and, and thank those veterans who, are all, who all are aging and giving them an opportunity to have some peace in the remaining years of their lives by Listening to music and audiobooks and whatever they want to do. Now, that led us to another situation. Um, there's an organization here in Fort Myers, nonprofit called Hope House. This is a facility that just treats um, end of life hospice care. And again, this was an organization that we were told treated 2,000 veterans in Lee County alone last year who were dying. And um, we have a pilot, it's no longer a pilot, it's full-blown. We have a program that we're doing in the Dallas VA, the Atlanta VA, the Chillicothe VA, uh, where we're giving each of these three facilities, and now the St. Petersburg Bay Pines Veterans Hospital – number four, um, they have what are called community living centers. And in these you have the stage one is veterans who need rehab from either surgery or drug or alcohol abuse. Then there's an assisted living facility. And then the last part is hospice care. And when we went to Dallas for the first time and met the people they said, we have, all, we have been struggling for years to try and figure out how to bring music to the dying veteran. And I said, I've got it right here. You don't need the Internet. It comes preloaded with an eight-hour sleep audio. So they started it. They introduced us to Atlanta. Atlanta introduced us to Telekathy and, and so on. And so we're now uh, offering our MP3 players to veterans in hospice care through facilities. Now the rest of the story is that there is this Hope House. I have been trying for the better part of 2 years to reach out and contact the president of Hope House because I wanted to talk to him about songs and stories for those veterans. And he never returned my call. No matter how hard I called or often I called, never returned my call. And I happen there's an organization here in Fort Myers called for veteran services called 211. The veteran can dial 2 one and he can get to a health center that will help them with all kinds of issues they might have. And I was invited to come and speak to a 2-1-1 meeting, and lo and behold, the president of Hope House was there. And the admiral who invited me to come uh, says, I'm going to get you a chance to meet with him before you leave, because I had to go up and do another presentation. And he saw that the gentleman was getting up and leaving, so he ran after him, and he said, stay right here. Don't move he brought me out, they introduced me, and I said, Sir, I've been trying to get a hold of you for two years, and um, if I've offended you in any way, I apologize, but I really want to work with you. And he said to me the following. He said, Mr. Perkins, we are very much aware of your program. And he said, we decided with the average hospice stay of 27 days, we didn't think that you would be interested in providing your players for somebody who had only had 27 days to live. I said, sir, I don't mean this with any disrespect, but you don't have any right to judge me. You have a right to ask me, but you don't have a right to judge me. If I can have an impact on the last 27 days of a soldier's life, I want to do that. So we're now working together. And so our program has expanded. And, and and yes, we're still dealing with sleep deprivation. And, yes, we're still dealing with suicide prevention, I mean, horrible Horrible statistic, Andy. Uh, the VA just reported that over 65% of the veterans who have committed suicide were never seen by the VA. 65% were never seen by the VA. So we have a lot of work to do, and and so it's it's just. An amazing ministry, um, and I got a, a phone call this morning uh, from the state convention commander of the Military Officers Association annual convention here in Fort Myers, and his local chapter here in in, in Fort Myers is going to give us a check for three thousand dollars, two thousand for players for veterans, but a thousand dollars, which is a hundred players for Honor Flight. And it, it's just an amazing ministry that just keeps growing and growing. More and more people are hearing about it, and more and more soldiers are being helped. And it's changed my life forever. Um, I'm a I'm retired military grunt, infantry guy, um, and I have great compassion and great uh, respect for those men and women who have served our country and who need help and um, um it's it's just something that um I was uh, up with the with the, the Purple Heart Association this is only only people who have been awarded the Purple Heart Purple Heart can join this organization and I was with a bunch of them up in Punta Gorda and I met a man who was in his early 90s, and he has COPD, and he's on a steroid, and his skin tears like tissue paper. And in order to wow. for him to survive, he has to go to a parabolic chamber three times a week to pump pure oxygen into a system. And I told him about a new technology that's being used at the Tampa VA hospital that makes it portable so that the, the the wounds can be stimulated with oxygen at home, as opposed to having to go to the parabolic chambers and the, the results are amazing. So we're trying to help veterans understand that, but there's just so much to do. Um, and, um, uh, so many that need our help. Um, it's just a wonderful ministry and, 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 I give the American people great credit, Annie. They, whenever they hear the story, what can I do to help? How can I help? And, um, um, you know, one of the one of the most important things I say to this when I'm going to new groups. We'd love to have you involved with songs and stories. And yes, we'd like you to help us raise some money so we can pay for the players. We don't take any compensation. There are three trustees take no salary, pay our own expenses, so all the money goes to buy the players for the veterans. I said, you know, if you really want to help veterans, and this is a message to your whole audience, what they need more than anything else, especially the ones that are at nursing homes and in hospitals, they need somebody to come and talk to them. Just socially come and talk to them. And if you're going to do that, you make a commitment. You can't go just once. You have to make a commitment to come back time and again to spend some time. And it's amazing to watch the transformation when you're talking to a soldier, a veteran, whether it's somebody from the Second World War, Korea, Vietnam, wherever, how living in their VA facility, how that conversation, I've seen it happen many, many, many times. You physically watch the demeanor of the person change when you begin to engage in a conversation with them. So that's something anybody can do that does cost you a little bit of money for gas, but it does. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to just sit and talk with somebody about what's going on. And, and so that's how your listeners can help. They can also go to songs and stories and make a donation. They can see what we're doing and, um, and uh, get involved, take care of a veteran. It's, it's, it's great work. There's a lot of need. We just, uh, opened up the, the oldest women's veteran homeless shelter in the United States in Tampa, Florida. Uh, with our program, they have 21 women homeless veterans there, and they just absolutely love our our program. It helps them get rest and uh, and it, it's sleep deprivation. Annie is probably the largest single problem, not only in the military, retired military, but in in our nation, and um, and we're we're trying to do something about it. And one other thing, real quick, the the best place to find stuff about me and the, and the books is at DanPerkins.Guru. We made it simpler, G-U-R-U, and uh, uh, much easier than all the DanPerkins at Sanibel.com because people are not sure how to spell Sanibel. But DanPerkins.Guru is the place to find me.
1: I will update that on the show page, but I've got to tell you, when you're talking about songs and stories for soldiers and all the other stuff you're doing, you actually had me crying. So, <laughs> you know, Whoa. people watching on, on Facebook and YouTube will see me wiping my eyes, but God bless you for all this. You you have a heart of gold, you and your wife. It. This is what makes America great because people like you are out there. And a lot of Americans are like you, they want to do something. You've taken it a step further. You've actually done something. But people can get Mm -hmm. involved by just simply going to your website and making a donation. That little bit, if it helps one veteran, if it helps one person thinking, contemplating suicide, that is all the world of difference. Just help one person. Right. I'm going to start crying in a
8: few seconds. Well, I'm going to tell you something i will tell you something new that I'm working on. In fact, it's going on the press today. Um, in addition to the, the the children's book on dementia, my first children's book was about uh, a little Irish seal, called Peter the Little Irish Seal. And I met a, uh, a retired rear admiral who loved Peter, and I was going to a military officer's association dinner where he invited me to be his guest. And <clears throat> we're sitting in the car, and he said, could you write a book on a Little Red Wagon? And I said, I don't know. Why? He said, we're in the process, along with a bunch of other people, putting up the money to build a new children's hospital in Fort Myers. It'll be the first children's mm-hmm. hospital only between St. Petersburg and Miami. And it's a red wagon hospital, or will be a red wagon hospital. And that, what that means is that they, instead of, whenever possible, instead of transporting the children to the various facilities within a hospital on a journey, they take them around in little red wagons. So I said, I'll try. Well, uh, today it's going on the printing press. It's called Timmy and the Little Red Wagon and it's being sponsored by his foundation and we're giving the books free to the hospital and every child who's admitted in the hospital will get an autographed copy of Timmy and the Little Red Wagon and it's a story about a red wagon but it's also a story about two generations of little boys who shared the wagon. Timmy, his fa- the father, and Cameron, the son and so it's designed to help wow. a small child understand that hospitals can be scary places, but they can also be great places. And um, we're very excited about it. The hospital is very excited about it. You won't be able to buy it, uh, at least at the moment. Um, They're going to offer it in the bookstore or the gift shop, and maybe it's a place to be put online, but um, we estimate 2,000 children a year go through the hospital. So... Wow. Um, it's a great story and it's, it's, it's a lovely illustrations are done by the same woman who did uh, Peter and also did the illustrations in Why Can't Grammy Remember Me from India and it's, it's a wonderful book and when it comes out I'll send you one and um, uh, it's, it's just a very warm caring story uh, about a family not just a mom and a child but a mother and father and child, that's kind of my theme, I guess. If you remember in in Grammy, um, yeah, it was the fathers who were the focus, uh, along with the two little girls. So, I'm trying to I'm trying to bring men into the process, um, um, so that that fathers can take a more active role in the raising of their children. And if I can do it through books. I want to be able to do that. So, and I guess we're already well, out of time. I'm
1: going to have, yeah, I'm going to have – yeah, I extended the show for a few minutes just so we can finish this up. But I'm going to have to definitely sit down and talk with you uh, on the phone, not later this week, this weekend, because my husband recently was in the hospital and they – had to move him down to the pediatrics area because they needed you know he was gonna be leaving, so they temporarily moved him down to pediatrics. And they had a red wagon in the hall and I remembered you telling me the story about the little red wagon. So I think right. maybe I'm gonna to try to get a hold of the bookstore and the pediatrics ward over at my hospital. Because you know over here we have a large military community. I, I think see right. if they won't be interested in your book also. Uh get it started up well, here in South Carolina too
8: yeah i would i would love to because there there i've been told that there are like we know that the that the shriners hospitals some of them are red wagon hospitals we know i believe saint jude's in memphis is a red wagon hospital but there's no there's no organization per se, any but if you have somebody that they're using I've, as soon as the, I, it'll probably be a week to 10 days before it comes off the press um <clears throat> but i'll send you one and i would love to be able to talk to them at the hospital about how they could be a, a Red Wagon Hospital.
1: Excellent, excellent. Dan Perkins, check his website out. He's got a TV show. He's got a radio show. He's got his books all up there. He's got the charity work. This man is, is an absolute whiz bag guy. Whiz-bang guy, not bad guy, bang guy. Uh, check out his website, danperkins.guru, G-U-R-U. I'm going to change it here in the show description, Dan. Thank you, and I'll speak to you. Tonight's my 25th wedding anniversary, so don't, no one's going to find me anywhere around. My husband's taking me out to dinner. That's that's plain fact.
8: Right. <laughs> my, my 50th is Friday.
1: Oh, God bless. God bless. And I've never met your years. wife, but give her a hug for me, because the two of you do I such will. wonderful work. You do God's work. Thank you.
8: Yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. Dan Perkins, check out his website. And like I said, I'll update that on the show page to reflect the correct uh, e- uh, website. But uh, Curtis will be back here on Friday. And on Friday, we got ourselves a triple header. Uh, we got Doug Giles on the first half. And then we got our, our friends, husband and wife team, uh, Philem and Ann uh, McAleer. They've got a new uh, movie uh, play out out in um right now playing out, I believe in San Francisco, called the $18 billion hoax. And they're having protests. They're having actors walk out because they're unveiling the climate change hoax. Uh, they'll be joining us. They've also had Goslin the movie. They've also had Ferguson, the play. Uh, they, they are absolutely amazing, amazing people. Uh, and we've got a lot more coming up. But uh, those that were looking for Katherine Templeton, she will be with us on June 5th. Because of the bad weather here in South Carolina, everything went topsy-turvy. And believe it or not, we're booked uh, solid on everything all through up until almost the 15th. I may have someone lined up on the 15th already here, too. Um, it's crazy. It <laughs> we're doing great. <laughs> yeah. But also, remind everyone, uh, Curtis, because please, you check it out also. Um Go to our website, the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-cents.com, check out the Earthwater. Get yourself a case, become an affiliate. Uh, They're paying you 10% commission, and they're going to give you a check not once a month, but every week, every Friday, the checks go out. I know that uh, Wild Bill Finley, he turned me on to it, and he called me up a couple of weeks ago and he goes, Ann, you joined, because I got a check in my hand. It was probably about two weeks after um, I had, bought my, my water, yeah. and I'm telling you, I'm sleeping better, I'm off of one of my medications, I've got more energy, uh, everyone has a different reaction, actually, even my skin is not as, as uh, dry as before, because it's got the pH in it where it hydrates you properly, so guys, you got to check it yeah. out, but that said, it's Curtis, rich, Curtis right. um,
2: what, what's it's that, mineral rich,
1: Yes, it's got 70 different minerals and antioxidants in it. It's great. So check it out. It's right now not open on the public just yet. They're looking for people to become affiliates, to sell it. But if you do, you know, they say if you get to join, you got a check. You got money coming in every every week, like a paycheck. And all you're doing is sitting at home and putting your website out there. matter of fact, they give you a website to work from. And you can put it onto your your page or whatever you want to do, pump it out in the social media. But every time you get a new customer and they come back and buy more, you still continue to get those checks. And all you're doing is sitting on your butt at home. So check it out. Go to our website, which is SouthernSense put a hyphen in the middle, and SouthernSense.com. Um, so again, we'll be back on Friday. And I hope everyone out there is having a great time because today is Also, primary day in four states. So if you are in uh, Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, or Texas, get yourselves to the poll, and let's get that red wave rolling. So until then, I say good night and God bless, and I leave you with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Have a great evening.